Welcome to the Push Performance Podcast. What's up, guys? Uh, today, we have one of my boys, Cole Leonida, on uh, the podcast. So this is going to be a little bit different route we're taking here. Um, something that's been important to me and something that's been important to a lot of guys on the educational side with, with the finances. And Cole has a cool story where he is an ex-player, um, XD1 player, ex-professional player, and he has gone in a different route now. Um, so we want to talk about a little bit life after baseball because it's such a thing. You know, people don't want to realize that there's life after baseball, right? But, you know, first and foremost, we need to realize that, you know, your playing days are going to come to an end. doesn't matter if you're a 20-year big leaguer or if you're a two-year minor leaguer. Your, your playing days are short. So, you know, we have to think about, you know, different things. It's going to be a diff- different route, but I think it will be very interesting. And, you know, Cole's done a lot for me personally. And, you know, I, this is pretty cool for me to have him on. I've known Cole, we were just talking off air for about 24 years, 22 yeah. years, 24 yeah. years, which is, which is sweet. So, um, Cole, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on, yeah. DJ. Um, so, I'm Cole and I'm, I'm born and raised from Colorado. That's how I have known DJ for as long as I have. Um, we actually went to the same high school. I broke a lot of his records. Um, and then I was, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get to go play at Georgia Tech, got to play um, you know, big time division one baseball. We were number one in the country while I was there. It was really cool. I was surrounded with a lot of players that were a heck of a lot better than I was, which was part of the reason I got to, um, I got the opportunity to be drafted. I was a sixth rounder with the nationals. Um, and I got to spend parts of six years in the minor leagues. Uh, so I, I got to play a lot longer than, than a lot of guys, but never actually achieved the, the goal of being a big leaguer and getting to experience that. Um, but I'm so thankful for my journey. It's been, it's been crazy because I grew up just kind of uh, worshiping in the house of baseball. And, and that was everything I knew. It kept me out of trouble, kept my grades up. I mean, everything was baseball related. That's who I was. I was called the baseball player. And uh, before we get into the financial stuff, I wanted to I wanted to make sure that something that was said and, and that most people hear is arguably the most important thing that I learned through baseball was my my first year of pro ball. I think I've shared the story with you, DJ, is I finished my short season. I was a catcher. You know, I was the, the highest catcher pick the Nats had had in a couple of years. You know, I was thinking things were going well. And uh, last couple of weeks of short season, my hip starts bothering me and come to find out I have a torn labrum and uh, I go to I go to instructs and they say, hey, you need to go see the specialist before I know it. I'm, you know, in my pre-op consultation with the doctor to get my labrum repaired. Doctor's telling me, he goes, hey, man, uh, don't worry about this. The surgery is super high probability success, 98, 99 percent you're going to be good. Just avoid deep squats for the rest of your life. And you're going to be fine, man. I go, doc, anybody tell you I was a catcher? <laughs> he goes, Oh, no, I hadn't, I didn't know that. You want any catchers still playing with this? He goes, there's gotta be a first. So this is how I start my playing career. I just get this just ripped out of me that my identity and who I was as a baseball player, like my purpose, and my value was as a baseball player. And realizing how quickly that could be taken away. I mean, something as simple as an injury, there wasn't a one-time deal. It was just overuse and I was hurt. And that was kind of the beginning of the end. I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I ended up finding, 
finding my faith and going back to church and, and really realizing what was important in life and finding my identity and in my beliefs and instead of being tied up in Cole Leonida, the baseball player, is who I was. That was just something I did. And it made me a better teammate, a better family member. It makes me a better husband and father and financial planner now. Um, so if there's one takeaway from all of this, the financial stuff is great. Um, it's for any of the players listening to this to encourage them to realize, hey, dive in, do everything you can, exhaust every avenue to be successful in baseball. But realize that you are worth a heck of a lot more than your batting average or ERA or who you are as a baseball player. Understand your purpose is bigger than that. hundred percent. I mean, that's, we've all come to the conclusion in this room that our baseball career is over, right? Minus, minus Ashton and Noah, but <laughs> <laughs> I think this gets brought up every episode. No, I'm, I'm unstoppable on short box. <laughs> I'm going to absolutely dominate Carter Ritchie tomorrow. <laughs> I doubt, I don't doubt it. Um, you know, but like, you know, it's hard for me to even watch the game of baseball. Once, once I was done over that, that first year, right. That's when I moved to Vail, got away from it. I had to find out who I was, what I wanted to do. And, you know, you know, brought me back to what I do now, which is pretty sweet. You know, I love, I love the ability to work in baseball now. And when people ask what I do, I'm pretty proud to tell them I work in baseball still. You know, that's really cool for me. I know it's, you know, especially for you, Brandon, I mean, you're, I was with you pretty much your whole journey and, you know, you, you did the same thing Cole did. You exhausted every resource you had and your dad exhausted every resource he had for you. And, you know, you had the opportunity to play and, you know, and then just, it comes to an end, yep. you know, and now you're in the same spot as me <laughs> doing it together, yep. you know? Yep. And, um, you know, I think that's something that I want to really get out of this episode is realizing that there's life after baseball, mm -hmm. you know, as much as we preach that every day, even not even life after baseball, there's also life during baseball, to be honest, right? And, you know, as a, as I was building my business, I took it as, you know, when I played baseball, I was in the cage, I was taking ground balls, blah, blah, blah. Here I'm studying, I'm making phone calls, building a network, blah, blah, blah. Also spending time away from my family, right? Not seeing my my sons grow up up until this last year, right? Or whatever, me, I sacrificed a lot. But then you realize who you are as a person. And I think that's huge for me. And then having that self-identity is the most important part for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And there, there is life after baseball and everybody's career comes to an end and there's very few, you know, Jeter's and big poppies that get to pick when they leave and on good terms and they leave a contract on the table. Yep. Most guys, big leaguers, minor leaguers, college guys, high school guys, you just, don't get the next opportunity. Yep. The jersey gets taken away or you get hurt. It's it's out of your hands. So, you know, you you moved and got away from it. And there's guys that go down much worse paths than that. And, you know, big leaguers, minor leaguers, doesn't matter. Guys that don't know who they are and that there's something outside of baseball. Even while you're playing, there's yep. life outside of baseball. Yep. It's not having a plan B. It's, it's diving in and doing everything you can for baseball, but realizing that there's a heck of a lot more to life. Yeah, well, I mean, so talk about how you got started with what you – first of all, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a financial planner, I'm a certified financial planner. Um, sometimes I'll be titled a financial advisor. You know, in the clubhouse, guys are always talking about their financial guy or their money guy. I'm that guy. 
And uh, I never thought I'd get into this because the idea of uh, helping the rich get richer and hearing about all the you know rich guy problems. My my dad was a financial planner, so kind of in the in the family business, if you will. Um, never thought I would ever get into that. I mean, I gosh, I thought in, thought about getting into coaching, thought about getting into ministry, uh, and dealing with rich people was not not my idea of a good time. It was a teammate of mine that got into it a couple of years before I did that uh, helped me realize that whether it's $5 million in a bank account or $5 in a bank account, people need good financial advice. And there's a lot of really good advisors out there, but there's also a lot that just stamp that label on their business card and they're not really financial advisors and they're not offering true, you know, what's in the client's best interest type of advice. And uh, I mean, honestly, it just breaks my heart because there's, there's some very simple things that people can do to set themselves up for success. You know, before we got started, we were talking about building long-term wealth. You don't need to start with, you know, a huge chunk of money to get to that point. And um, I really feel like it's a ministry for people. And taking, I was listening to your podcast from last week, you're talking about all the stress two weeks ago, communication episode, mm-hmm. all the stress that people have. And there's two different kinds of stress. There's distress and stress And Finances very rarely provide you stress. It's almost always distress. So if you can take that off people's plate and help them make decisions that, you know, avoiding those big mistakes in all sorts of areas, you can free people up to really live out their purpose. And, you know, they might not really care what's going on, but it's the fact that things aren't going sideways. That's a huge blessing. Especially during baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Guys are able to focus on their careers, right? Or even the, Brand, we were talking earlier, like the college guys are able to make money now, right? Mm-hmm. Those, believe it or not, nobody's teaching a financial class in college for the most part, you know? And these some of these college guys, I was talking to, to Kale Lansville, who's at LSU, he goes, you should see some of these cars. These guys are driving in the parking lot for LSU football. These guys are working as adults already. Like, they just are going to blow through this money. That money is always going to be there, you know? And I think that we just need to take a step back and like, Hey, you know, you can go play your sport all, you know, you can trust me with this side of things. Like go do what you're good at. The last thing you need more, more is distress in your life. And, you know, that's why we see a lot of divorces. That's why we see a lot of breakups is yeah. financial issues, you know, and you know, when majority of people's fights are, you know, in relationships are probably financially related, you know? And I mean, this is a real issue, you know, and I think it's something that, we need to address head on and not run away from in my, my opinion. You know, yeah. I feel like people just run away. Like, Oh, look at the bank account. Like, okay, let's run away from this kind of thing or not pay my, pay my bills or not pay this or, you know what I mean? Well, and here's something that you just said that, that stood out is Kale is assuming that those football players are worth millions of dollars and almost guarantee they're not, but they sure like the idea of looking like that yeah. and shifting back to baseball everybody's driving a, you know, a BMW or Mercedes, doesn't matter what round you're drafting. You're trying to look like you've made it already. Are you signed for, you know, more money than you've ever seen? Well, high school kids, college kids, they haven't seen any money. They signed for you know, 50,000 bucks or a hundred thousand bucks. And they're like, I'm rich. Let's go buy a car. If I could just, I'm, that was me. <laughs> my dad was a financial planner and I was dumb enough to go buy a car with my sixth round money after taxes. I basically spent my entire signing bonus on a BMW. I'm a, I was a moron. I just didn't know. Like it wasn't, it wasn't ingrained in me. My, you know, my dad taught that to, to clients and I just didn't, I always thought I was going to make it right. 
I thought, hey, I'll go buy this car. And I understand it's expensive, but I'm going to be a big leaguer in a couple of years. Well, I'm 32 now. I figured I'd be in my you know, sixth or seventh year in the big leagues. That'd be so wait another call. I'd be pretty close to tenured <laughs> right now, you know? Like everything was going to, everything was going according to plan until it wasn't. Yeah. And, you know, I was one of those guys that was driving around in a car I couldn't afford, but everyone was like, hey, Cole's, rich. Cole's doing well, man. <laughs> Dang, what he signed for? And then you Google it and I'm like, oh, that was dumb. <laughs> so that's, that's everywhere, man. People, people, portray themselves as rich and they're really not there's a difference between yeah. looking rich and actually being wealthy yeah, you always see those memes on like instagram right where you see like bill gates or jeff bezos wearing a t-shirt and jeans yeah right and then you see these guys wearing gucci and yeah you know all that kind of shit right and um you know just like the portrayal of like fake life who you are mm-hmm. you know and, and uh you know just about like Coming to realization who you truly are is the first and foremost, and asking for help, right? And having somebody like you, like, let's get into this, building your team. Yeah. Right? I wanted, first of all, actually, I wanted to talk about where you messed up, but you kind of touched on that. Yeah. Where, where you've seen yourself fail and how you got to where you are, you know, baseball-wise, financial-wise, whatever. We can touch on that if you want, or we can go which, whatever you want to talk about first. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to continue to throw myself under the bus with yeah. all the bad decisions I made. I yeah. Mean, I, I ate out constantly. I mean, I was I was paying for all sorts of things. I was paying for stuff for for friends, and um, I was smart enough to not go rent a place I didn't need. I stayed with family, but I could have redirected the money I was saving and put it into an investment. I mean, nowadays it's a heck of a lot easier. Uh, you brought it up before before we even started talking that you know, now it's as easy as ever to go invest in the stock market and, and open up a, a Betterment account or robin hood or whatever um that was not on my radar i was purely in spend 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 mode there was no saving there was no giving there was none of that um and there's we can talk about it in a little bit but there's there's five uses of money and i was only focused on the spending because it was fun i'd never i'd never had just that that uh ability to do that you know without asking mom and dad for a little extra allowance or something you basically go from an allowance to having six figures in the bank and you're like, I'm loaded. Let's do this. And you got to pay for your own cell phone bill. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Start getting bills that show up every month. The auto draft. Like, Where's all the money going? My account. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. So yeah. Um, let's go into building a team now. Yeah. Um, we'll go off of that. You know, what, when you hear that, what do you think? Right. We, we have orchestrated a team here at that push, right. We have, for both locations, we have a phenomenal staff in Colorado, phenomenal staff here. You know, everybody does their own part. Everybody has their own role. Everybody has their own expertise, per se, right? Um, how do you build your, you know, I, I always think about this. Like, my circle needs to stay small, right? Um, you know, for stress reasons, for trust reasons, for whatever whatever you want to say, right? Um, you know, I, I, I saw, going back to Jeff Bezos, I saw Jeff Bezos say, um, you know, he's the richest man in the world, so I kind of study what he says, but one of the richest men in the world. And, you know, he said, you can't feed your team with two two pizzas. You have too big of a team. You know, I take that to heart. And, you know, like, I want to keep my circle small and who I trust. And if you don't want to be part of that circle, if you don't want, if I don't want you part of that circle, like, this is a mutual agreement, right? Um, you know, how do you pick your team, who you classify yourself with? How do you go, go that way? Yeah, well, I think you you teed it up perfectly that you've surrounded yourself with a a very tight knit team, but it ends up looking more like a funnel where the people that you are immediately surrounded with 
are the people that you trust the most, but your network is vast, which is why push has done what push has done. You know, people all over the place through maybe it's, you know, the first layer away from you, they've got their connections. And all of a sudden you've got this, this big network of people at your disposal that are on team push here, you know, in kind of the, the broader stroke of things, but you've got a team of, you know, each one of your athletes has a trainer. They've got, you know, physical therapist, they've got a yoga instructor, they've got a nutritionist, they've got a chiropractor, they've got, I mean, anything you can think of, they got mental coaches, they've got physician coaches, all these things, they got all these professionals in very specific areas that are really good. But who's the leader of that team for the athlete? The parents. Oh, I was surprised. I thought you were going to say you. You're the professional no, leader, I feel like. Well, I mean, it depends on the age, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Once okay. they get yes. out of you yeah. know, mom and dad's yes. under the out so, of I mean, the Truthfully, the, in my opinion, the, the leader of their team is themselves. I like that. Right? I like that a lot. First and foremost. But, yep. I mean, yeah, it comes to it. Like, we, we work hand in hand with their pitching coaches, their, you know, yoga instructors, their PTs, mm-hmm. um, whether that be in-house or away, you know, their agents, their, you know, whoever that may be, it, you know, it, if they're not in-house, we have a relationship with them, even their organizations, their MLB organizations, their, their pitching coordinators, their, even their big league managers sometimes, or whatever it may be, right? Um, you know, we have relationships with those guys, and like we like said, we, we branched out, you know, but going off that, I think... First and foremost, they're the leader of their own team, and then it's who they—I guess—who they would want to put in front of them, right? So it would either be probably be their agent, us. I mean, you know, I like to think us, but who's who's in their small circle? Yeah, who exactly. who do their two pizzas feed? Yep. And I think you'd probably have a seat at that table with most of your athletes yep. or whoever the the primary trainer is. Yep. And in my mind, that's that's where a financial advisor comes in, you know, sitting at the table with with someone like the agent. Yep. Um, as soon as guys get started, minor league guys, they need an accountant. They need a CPA. You're getting paid in, you know, a dozen different cities. Like, taxes get a little bit more confusing than, you know, mom and dad doing your turbo tax for you. <laughs> it, it's not that easy. I'm not, a, I'm not a CPA, but you need to have that person on your team. You got your agent, you got your financial advisor, you got your, your CPA. Um, I know you guys get a lot of bonus babies in here. You need an estate plan, like your will, your who's making decisions. If you get sick and you're in the hospital, who's paying your bills? What happens if something actually happens to you and you got seven figures in your bank account, where's that money go? That's what an estate plan does. And you need an attorney to do that. These are all no 17 year old coming out of high school knows what any of these people do. They just know I need an agent to advise me through the draft. Right. That's all I knew. And then come to find out there were all these other pieces that needed to be filled. And I had no idea how to pick those people. And my agent wasn't a whole lot of help. Like we, we parted ways reasonably quickly after my draft. Um, but building out that team of very specific professionals that know what position they're playing and what role they're in is, is a huge deal. And I think that the, the financial advisor, the planner is supposed to look at the whole team and be able to coordinate things. Kind of that first point of contact a lot of people look at their agent as that person. It's been my experience that agents oftentimes will, like, they'll kind of, hey, we got a couple of referrals over here. Go, you know, go interview a couple of advisors. Huh? Go find yourself a CPA. Some of the big firms kind of bring everything in-house, which I'm a little leery of sometimes because that gets a little, a little convoluted with conflicts of interest. But um, 
I I find that we coordinate just like you guys do with you know whether it's in house or this broader team, we coordinate with all those people, and that's part of the job. Hundred percent. I mean, you would you got to look at it too. Is like a lot of guys do have their agents as their first string, right? They they built dealt with that first big contract. They got them drafted or whatever it may be. But after that, who's managing that money that the agent got for them, mm-hmm. right? Or the athlete got for themselves that the agent, the agent. Good call. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Right. So agent gets their five percent or whatever they exactly, charge, yeah. and then they don't they don't get anything for a while. Yep. So you know the idea of is not throwing agents under the bus, but I think the general model for agents. I know some guys, some some agents are doing it differently now, but just that model is broken. Yeah, and we work with a handful of good agencies. Yeah. Right, and that we can trust with guys. They refer dudes to other places with whether that be financially or whatever it may be, but you know, there's gotta be a give or take. You know, it's you know, you gotta trust your agent to get you this contract, to get the contract done. You gotta trust your financial advisor to get your finances your finances in line. You gotta trust, you know, from there it's like, all right, your network's like, I need an attorney, I get in trouble, right? I need an attorney for my will, I need an attorney for whatever it may be, mm-hmm. right? And you know, there's got to be different networks and that's the most important thing for sure. Yeah. And I think that with, we might want to stop and even talk about what financial planning is. I feel yeah. like it's such an ambiguous term that there's, there's probably some people that maybe they've stopped listening at this point, but they might like, what are we talking about? What does a financial advisor do? Like there's investing. Like, I think that's what most guys think of. They're like, oh, they put my money in stocks and they make me a bunch of money. Um, that is one very small kind of ancillary part of being a financial advisor. I mean, I remember to stop you. I yeah. remember when I first started working with you, I was like, all right, like what stocks were you going into? Yeah. It was like, whoa, we have like 40 steps to go before we reach that point. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, classic. But the, the impatience that we were talking about before we started, yeah. you were like, hey, let's jump to step 40. Um, but kind of going back to, to what I even, why I even got into this and how I realized that this was such a good fit. Like I was a catcher. Like all you, all you guys can relate. I'm sure there's some pictures in here. Um, all of them. Besides me. I knew we were going to, we were all going to get along. I got along with the pictures. Great. Cause my favorite part of being a catcher was looking at scouting reports, strategizing, figuring out a game plan. Like, Hey, here's your strength. What are we going to do here? This guy, how are we going to attack this hitter? How are we going to get him out? And then, you know, best laid plans, as soon as they're as soon as they're in place, something goes sideways, guy hits a first pitch heater off the wall, and you're one pitch into the game, you got a guy on second base. Well, now, are we really saving that pitch for the second time through, or are we going straight to the good stuff? Like, yeah. making those tactical changes as we go, or, holy cow, I can see that he's got deer in the headlights, he needs a pat on the back, or, you know, maybe something else. Like, everybody's got something different. And I love that, and I love the fact that, my game, the success of my game, if I determined the game as a success, was how much I could get out of the pitcher, right? If he had a good game, that means me as a catcher, I had a great game. I kept him in line, called all the right pitches, did all the right things. That's how I was measuring myself every game. Well, now, with financial planning, if I can help people strategize with their finances, instead of talking, you know, pitches and, and balls and strikes, we're talking like real life stuff. We're talking dollars and cents. We're trying to figure out a plan to get you into the sixth, seventh, eighth inning in in life. And we're trying to make a plan. We're trying to make moves as, as things change, as life changes. Life happens quick. We talked about how quickly uh, careers can end and stuff can change. We want to be able to be be nimble and make moves, but having planned for that and then 
being that emotional support for people. I mean, gosh, probably the vast majority of your conversations are emotional, not physical. You're not like, exactly. hey, man, you got to really work on that range of emotions. Like, hey, how's stuff at home? How's your girlfriend? What's yeah. going on, man? Like, for that's sure. knowing people at a deeper level is what my industry is about. It's what your industry It's a people business. Yep. And then being good at the stuff that maybe people don't really care about as much, the, the technical aspect of training or planning, that's, you know, that's ultimately what makes a good advisor, but you got to be able to communicate, got to be able to, you know, really interact with people. It's that emotional intelligence. So the overlap is perfect between being a catcher and, and being a financial planner. And really the way we define financial planning is the continuous predetermined allocation of limited financial resources. So like everybody's got a finite limited number of dollars, even if you Jeff Bezos, still limited number and using those resources in an unlimited, constantly changing world of opportunities. So there's an unlimited way, number of ways that you could spend your money, right? You go buy any number of things, especially with the internet now, like well, everything's available. Yep. Everything's available, but there's always a finite number of dollars. So having a plan that aligns with your goals and your values for this long-term goal, when you're programming for somebody, they've got a long-term goal in mind. Maybe it's, hey, make it to the big leagues. Maybe that's the long-term goal. And before that, they got to get to college or they got to get to 90 miles an hour, whatever. You, you kind of work backwards and that's where the programming comes in, right? Well, in financial planning, you're looking at, you know, in the, in, in most situations, you're looking at someone, Hey, you got 30 or 40 years to work. We're going to sock away this much money. We start making a plan to get you to that long-term goal. This much money, this kind of rate of return, this kind of insurance, whatever it is, and you start allocating resources towards those small little pieces of the program to get you to the end goal. Well, baseball players are way different, like completely backwards, right? We don't have we don't have 40 years to work and make our money. Like most people, sorry, I'm talking a lot, but most people, they, in their early 20s, the stakes are really low. They're making almost no money. They got nothing to their name. They can go, you know, make a, a dumb stock pick or buy something stupid. And the stakes are super low and the mistakes don't hurt long-term. You know, you lose a hundred dollars here, a thousand dollars there. That hurts in the moment. Grand scheme of things, who cares? That's how most people function. You're 18 to 25 years old. You're trying to figure out your, your view of money, your view of debt, your risk tolerance, all these things. You make mistakes. Well, what really sucks is you get 18 to 25 year olds in the professional athlete setting. And all of a sudden the table stakes are huge. You get six or seven zeros behind a bank account and, you know, investment opportunities and you make a wrong decision. That's a big deal. Losing 10 grand. <laughs> right. God, I hope that's all they lose. You know, yeah. I mean, seriously, there, you, you hear horror stories about guys, you know, the statistics of guys that go bankrupt, and everybody will wag a finger from their, their lounge chair. Like, Oh, I can't believe that guy would be so irresponsible. Like, Hey, you come from having literally nothing like living in debt or poverty your whole life, or even if you're in a you know nice neighborhood or whatever, but you have nothing to your name. And then you've got $2 million in the bank. What would you do? You go buy a Rolex, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know who I'm talking to. If you're listening, you know who I'm talking to, but I'm serious. That's, that is just ridiculous, the expectation to think that these kids that don't learn anything in high school or college about finance are going to go out and make super wise decisions with this seemingly infinite number of dollars that they now have. Yeah, especially at 18. 
it's insane. Forget 18. Like I was a, I was a reasonably intelligent 21 year old and I made a super poor decision. And I just, I, I think it's ridiculous. So finding, finding people to, that you truly can trust that fit on your team is just paramount. You know, like it, I feel like it needs to be like draft prep 101. Hey, get an agent you trust. They can walk you through this process and you understand how that works and get a financial advisor, like just ready and waiting for you. That as soon as that money hits the account, we start figuring out how to allocate that. What are we doing? What kind of budget can you have? How long do we need to make this money last? Maybe you're not a bonus baby. Okay. How do we make, how do we make your, your in season 1500 bucks a month last for a whole year? What kind of job do we need to get? That all starts with your expenses. There's a lot that goes into this. So the idea of expecting a kid to do it on their own just blows my mind. And then everybody just thinks like, what a bunch of, what a bunch of idiots, these athletes losing all their money. Man, that, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Nobody knows what it's like to be in that, to be in the public eye, to have family, friends calling, asking for things, business opportunities. Um, you're trying to keep up with the other first rounder, you know, that is driving around in his brand new Tesla or whatever it is. You, you're, maybe you get to the big leagues, all of a sudden you're making, was it 570 now is league minimum? Well, say more, take, more than that, I think. Is it? Did it go up past close that? Six, six. Is it? Yeah, six, six, close six, 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 yeah. You're taking home probably less than half of that because you get crushed with taxes. Especially if you're planning for a California Especially team. if you're in California. California, for sure. And then if you're smart enough to put money into the 401k plan, then you're taking home less than half of that, but you're expected to, you know, go out and eat at Roots Chris. You're expected to, you know, wear a suit on the plane. You're expected you to look a certain way. You got to pay for living. Yeah, you, you, you probably own your, a home somewhere. You got to pay for your condo to rent in San Francisco. You got to pay for your house in the off season. Yep. Right. You got all your training expenses, everything to keep you finely tuned. I mean, was it Russell Wilson spends a million five a yep. year on on his body? Yeah. Like, there's expenses that go into that, and it doesn't go as far as you think. And you've got this little window when you're still trying to figure out the world, and you're expected to make really good decisions so that you can set yourself up. So when you're done playing it. 30 years old or 35 years old, like God willing, you last that long. You want to be set up for long-term success. So you don't have to go get the high school coaching job down the street. You better make good decisions early on, but how do you know to do that? So, I mean, seriously, just the, the prerequisite of find a good agent, find a good advisor, and then hopefully the two of them can help you put the other pieces in place and going back to it. I think it starts like a lot with us too, because we've mentioned this before. We spend more time with our athletes than their families. Truthfully, for the most part, right? They're at school and they come in here to say a high school kid, they come in here and they're here for two, three hours a day. That's two or three hours a day for five days a week. They're not spending that much time with their parents. I know for a fact. For possibly, you know, four years straight, too. Like exactly. Started as a freshman in high school. Exactly. And then our pro guys even, right? They're, they move they move down here. They train with us. They're here four to five hours a day, right? They probably Some of them might just want to get away from their wives or whatever it may be. But, you know, um, you know they're, they're in here four or five hours a day, you know, away from their family. They're not living in the same city as their family, right? So we can help track or help that lead them in a good direction, not just – physically, mentally, whatever, but like build, helping them build a team with their agency, with their financial planners, with who their their lawyers or attorneys or whoever, 
you know what I mean? And they're nutritionists. Like mm-hmm. We can help build that team. I think we're, like you mentioned before, we're at the forefront of that. And, you know, with how much we talk to them, like, no, you have dialogue with our guys all off season and then all in season, right? We talk to our guys constantly. And not just about like baseball stuff no. either. Like you got to have that personal relationship, you know, how are you doing? How are your coaches? You know, yeah. what, what's the vibe like in the clubhouse? You know, what, what, what are you doing out outside of the stadium, you know, to keep busy or, or what have you? Well, most of the guys talk baseball all the time. The last thing they want to do yeah. is talk more baseball, mm-hmm. 100%. right? So like we always, I always try and make it a point and check on our guys. Like, Hey dude, like how's the family? How's, you know, how's the new baby? How, you know, how kids start school yet or whatever it may be. And that's truly because I care as well. But they need to hear a different voice too, you know. And um, I think that's you know, how we can help bridge that gap with everybody, you know. And we're not just strength coaches, we're not just financial planners, we're also people as well, and in their life, in their circle. I think addressing that's huge. When you care about these guys, like like they're your own kids, right? Yeah, I mean, this is this is way deeper than baseball. Like this goes back to just being a, a whole person and yeah. an identity, and that level of care is something that you don't you don't get everywhere yep. and i think that it's nobody likes to talk about money um but it's 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 kind of a necessary evil and really money is just a tool to accomplish goals and there's different ways you can allocate that but if you can change your mindset that the goal is not baseball baseball is a tool to accomplish greater purposes impact on your family future generations the world around you that is such a different way than anybody looked at it when I was playing. Like everybody was all in baseball all the time. You know, you're spending 10 or 12 hours in the field. You got to love it. Right. But looking at money as a tool and baseball as a tool to accomplish that greater purpose in your life is, is really hard for kids to grasp. And I totally get it. Cause I was, I was that kid too. Everything I wanted was baseball, 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 since I was five years old. Yep. So it's really hard to make that shift, but at some point, not to be blunt, but like at some point you have to grow up. Yep. At some point you got to realize there's a little bit more to it and the decisions you make have a very serious impact on yourself, your family, your, your kid or your future kid, your grandkids. Like you can make a very meaningful impact if you're just looking at money the right way and how can we use money, not as some big goal or big idol that we're worshiping, but just as a tool to accomplish something greater. And that's having clarity on your goals. Like where the heck are you going? Going, going into that, what are the five uses of money you mentioned? Yeah. So five uses of money. Um, you can only allocate a dollar in one place at a time comes in your pocket. You have to decide what you're going to do with it. You can use it to live. This would just be, um, you know, going out, buying food, paying bills, uh, just your basic living expenses, which obviously add up. Uh, as you as you get older and get off mom and dad's uh, payroll, um, you can live. You can take that dollar. You can use it for something you want to live with. You can give it. So live, give. Um, you can take your dollar out of your pocket. You can give it to somebody else, which often is overlooked, especially for guys that aren't making a bunch of money. And it's not our job to tell you how much to give or where to give. It's just to encourage you to give because that's how you can make an impact directly with your dollars. Um, and even if it's on a small scale, that's an awesome habit to get into, especially if you see something outside yourself that you want to impact. So live, give, owe. You can owe money in two different ways. So there's five uses of money. O has two different. You can owe on taxes. 
which are kind of a necessary evil, but I like to look at taxes. The only way you owe taxes is if you're making money. So pay those taxes joyfully. I mean, try to try to minimize them, you know, within the, the scope of the law. But if you owe a lot in taxes, chances are you're making a lot of money. So taxes are not the enemy. Taxes are just a byproduct of being successful. So live, give, owe taxes or owe in debt. The debt is one that really gets like it gets blown out of proportion in a lot of ways because debt can be really bad or it can be good. If you go into debt to buy a house that you're going to live in and you get tax benefits from it and you get to see appreciation and value and it's like this investment that you get to use, by all means, go into debt, buy your house. That's great. What, a, what an awesome use of debt. You want to start a business? You need a loan to start a business? Man, go in. Debt's fine. But you want to go buy that uh, new pair of shoes or you want to... You know, Rolex. Yeah, Rolex. You want to impress the girl and you put something on a credit card at 22% interest? Bad debt. So being prudent with debt is one of the principles that, that we believe. That's a, a biblical thing, but also just just a worldly thing. Being, being prudent with debt is a huge deal. So we've got live, give, owe, taxes, and debt. And then grow. Grow is you know kind of intentionally the last one here because you kind of have to get the other things in order before you can really think about saving for the future. You got to pay your bills right now before you can go save for the future, right? So grow, people are probably thinking about investing and, and growing and multiplying that money. Growing starts with building liquidity, saving money. You can't invest money until you save something to invest. So having cash available is huge for emergencies or if there's some kind of opportunity available, having cash available that you are, are ready to use. And then once you have some cash available, then you can look at investing. So every day that come in, whether it's in a big chunk in a signing bonus or in a monthly uh, paycheck, you can choose live, give, or grow with those dollars. So if you can just, anybody listening to this, if you just kind of simplify as stuff is coming in, and you're trying to figure out your budget, make make a little make a little pie chart. Like how much is going into that live slice? You know, realistically, it shouldn't be more than you know, 30 or 40 percent because you know, so take mine for example. Like I I do the the 10 percent giving thing, right? So it's a biblical thing. I believe in that. So my wife and I do that. 10 percent gone. I've got 90 percent left. I like to save about 10 percent. Love to save more, but stage of life, can't do that. Boom, 20% gone. I've got 80 left. Got my taxes. That's another know, 30, 35% depending on what's going on. So what is that? 50% gone. I got 50% to live off of. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, you're 1500 bucks a month that you're making and you're trying to live off of half of that. That sounds pretty ugly. So then you got 50% you can live off of. Well, in the off season, maybe that means we have to go get a job. Maybe that means, you know, we can know exactly what we need to do to try to fill that gap during the off season. It's a totally different for big leagues, but minor leaguers, this is a very real consideration. Like, hey, this is how much I'm making. I know it's not going to cover it. So how much do I need to make in the off season? What can I do to do that? And if you can't cover that, then, hey, how, how long can I make the signing bonus last? And then you start, okay, how much can I take out of my signing bonus and still, you know, have it invested so it's growing a little bit, so I'm not eating into that too much. How long can I make this last? Like any financial advisor worth their worth their salt can help you with that. That's a fairly easy, like basic calculation for someone in our industry. But that can be hard for a kid. One, 
to know those fairly basic steps, two, to be able to do the math to do that, and three, to have the discipline to see it through. Super challenging. So as an advisor, like, yeah, I can do all the math. I can show you that I care, but holding you accountable to the goal of, I want to have at least seven years to chase my dream. I want to do this till I'm 25. If I don't make it, I'll call it quits. Okay, how do we make this last for seven years? How do we maybe get you, you know, a year, eight years? Maybe we get you a little bit of margin. Can you live off this much? Those are the kind of discussions you can have and holding you accountable to that goal. And then also being on your side, like being your advocate is a huge deal for a financial advisor. You were just sharing a story about one of your guys that was trying to buy a Rolex. We've been picking on him a little bit. And his, his financial advisor told him to kick rocks. Like, no, you're not buying a Rolex. That's, that's ridiculous. So he was holding him accountable and he was also being an advocate for his own best interest. But, you know, maybe it was somebody else chirping in his ear, like, hey, man, you need a Rolex. You made it. You need a Rolex. Treat yourself. Well, if we can get in the way of bad advice and get out of, you know, your your high school buddy asking for some money or a loan or whatever, if we can get in the be that intercessor between you and someone that's trying to get you to do something wrong or even you trying to get yourself to do something wrong, that's I mean, that is worth whatever you're paying your financial advisor. If they're doing that, they are worth their weight in gold because that is, that's huge. It's not about returns in the market. It's about trying to help you avoid mistakes like that. Wow. What's, what's the best way to start? You think like, how do you, as an athlete, a find the right fit, mm-hmm. right. And trust somebody. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you sign for, let's say 500 grand, mm-hmm. right. Um, where, what's the, where do you start? What do you do? Yeah. So it, man, it's really challenging nowadays because like I said, there's a lot of really good advisors out there. Um, there's a lot that might be good people, but aren't very good advisors because they're not actually advisors. They're not, they're not planners. They're just, they're trying, but they're, they're not in the right situation or they don't have the aptitude or the, the, um, you know, the education to do what we do. Um, so really it's important to interview a couple of them, you know, get some, get some recommendations from, you know, teammates. If they have somebody they really like, go interview that guy. They don't have to be local, like especially now with Zoom, like you can do everything over Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. So find some people that you want to interview. Good places to look are, are family, friends, like recommendations that uh, of people that you trust. Or I really like the teammate recommendation because one of the hard things in financial advice, I was kind of explaining how normal financial advice is over like this 40-year period and you ramp your way up into the high earning years and you're saving for retirement when you're 65. Or you could be an athlete where everything's flipped on its head and you're trying to retire at like 40 and you're making millions along the way. Like that's the, that's the dream, right? Um, so finding somebody that is up to speed with what you're going through in baseball is, is really big. So I like, I like looking for uh, referrals from teammates. I think that's a great idea. Asking guys in the gym, like, Hey, who's, I need a guy. Who's your guy? That's kind of like what, how we survive, right? Same, mm-hmm. same thing. It's like we have a ton of Giants players. Yeah. You know, and it's like, Brandon, you got a new client the other day. And so how do you, how do you feel about it? <laughs> you mentioned the whole Giants staff, yeah. you know, and it's just like, that's how people spread word. Yeah. You know, word of mouth is the best, I think the best compliment for you, for us. Right. right? And that's the number one big thing. But how do you, I guess my, my question is, yeah. How do you realize you've gotten to that point? Do you, do you have to grow up to ask for help? Do you have to ask? Like, you know, when you, when you ask, like, how do you know when to ask? 
right? And it's just, when's that time, right? I know you could be making two grand a month or you could be, or 1500 a month or whatever it is to making 20 million a year. You know I mean? How do we know when it's a good time to ask for, for, for help, essentially? I think it's never too early to ask for help. And I think there's a lot of maturity and wisdom that comes from asking for help, knowing your own limitations and, and knowing what you don't know. And realistically, you've been focusing your whole life, 20 plus years on learning how to play baseball and the ins and outs of all of that. You probably are not some committed expert to financial planning or investing or whatever. Um, so I would say, even if you, leading up to the draft, I'm telling you, it should be a prerequisite. Like this needs, there needs to be like a course on this. Find an, find an agent, here's how you find a good agent, here's questions to ask an agent. Find a financial advisor. So when there is some money helping, you know, coming in, you know who you're going to go to and you can trust. And I think that getting to the the real core of your question is, what are you looking for in an advisor? Like exactly, That's anybody can say, I'm trustworthy. I'm going to help you out. Don't you worry about it. I've been doing this for 40 years. That that doesn't tell me anything. Everybody's going to say that they're trustworthy, right? Like you come across. There's a lot of good trainers out there. There's also a lot that can talk the talk and they're not worth anything, right? Same goes with this. So there's there's three things that are are very clear that you want to look for. And then, you know, in contrast, there's three kind of red flags that are like, I don't know, I might think twice about that guy, even if my, you know, my teammate really likes him, might not be for me. So um, the first one is you want to find somebody who is acting in your best interest. And that might sound really really simple and kind of rudimentary, but you're looking for somebody kind of a buzzword in our industry now as a fiduciary, somebody that's, that's working in your best interest and they have a legal obligation to do so. Um, there's a lot of people that throw that word around. There's a lot of people, oh, me, I'm working in your best interest. A good, easy thing to do is to look for a certified financial planner, um, a CFP. If they have a website, you can go search for people on there. Um, they have a fiduciary standard, so they are required. You can then get in a lot of trouble if they don't act in your best interest. And the contrast to that is there's a lot of people that are in kind of sales type roles where they have certain things that they're trying to get you into that are looking for what's called suitability. So if I'm looking for what's best for you, I'm looking for option 1A only this is my recommendation for you based on your goals and your values. This is what I think is absolutely best for you. On the flip side, if it's suitable, it just needs to be like in the top half. Like, hey, this is this is real good. It's suitable. Trust me, this is awesome. Suitable. That there, see the difference there? So there's people that play on both sides of the fence. They'll both say financial advisor on their business card. Um, you know, there's even some CFPs that that might kind of, you know, tow both lines, but um, that's, that's one thing is to, to ask if they're a fiduciary, if they're a CFP um, or if they you know, comply with like a suitability type of standard and kind of what goes one layer deeper on that is are people focused on your, is the advisor focused on your goals and your values and like getting to know you and asking you a bunch of questions. You get a new athlete in here. You're not just saying, I know this and you should do that. And I know you're asking hundreds of questions your communication podcast was really nice timing before this. It should be questions, 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 all just getting to know the athlete, right? I want to know your goals and your values and where we're going long-term so that we can 
set that program in place to get you there. The flip side of that is looking at more of a, um, a product oriented type of solution. Like, hey, I got this great insurance product or I can get you X amount on your investments. If you ever get somebody that's like promising returns, just it's like promising below. Right. Like, hey, <laughs> thanks for your time. I'm yeah. out of here. You, yeah. you can give me 15 percent. Cool. I'm gone. I'm going to get somebody else. Yeah. You're not for me. Yeah. That kind of stuff just drives me nuts. So trying to fit a, a round peg into a square hole where everything funnels into one particular company's worth of products or investments or whatever, that big red flag. You want someone that's, hey, I'm going to look at your goals. I'm looking for best interest solutions here. And we're going to figure out, you know, piecemeal, what can we put together in a cohesive plan? So those are two very big things. And then I would also say that as the advisor, as the planner, that main point of contact, you want someone that's looking at the whole picture. Comprehensive is thrown around a lot in our industry. Comprehensive financial planning. A lot of people use that, but do they actually look at your tax situation, your insurance coverages, your estate planning, your investments, your savings rate, your budget? Are they actually helping you with those things? And then getting those other team members to come in and say, hey, we need a little more expertise on the taxes. Hey, we need to bring an attorney in. You want someone that can really be the quarterback and then, you know, outsource to what they need the, the specialties in, as opposed to someone who's just Mr. Investment Guru stock picker, or I know a whole lot about insurance, so I can be your financial advisor. I would really encourage guys to look for someone that can be more, more comprehensive. It's looking at the whole picture that's not products based and is really acting in your best interest. It's awesome. You guys got any questions for Cole before we end it? No? All right. Sweet. Appreciate it, Cole. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on.